Amen, amen. Well, I was waiting for Josh to use this. I thought he brought this up here, so I don't know what that's up here for. I thought it was part of worship set. I don't know. I do want to say this on Kelly's behalf. She's asked Josh to do this twice now, and he has failed to do it two times in a row. Josh is uh, not a hippie. He's not up here singing with his shoes off because he thinks it's cool. It's, it's a practical thing. It's so he can control uh, his controllers down here on the floor with his, with, his feet, with his shoes not being on. So those of you who were wondering about that, because I know some of you were wondering about that, that is why Josh does not have shoes on when he leads worship, so he can control his, his music. Uh, but anyway, ready to get started today. Not going to waste any time. Do you believe is the question. Romans 10, 9 through 13 is the, is the scriptures for today that we will be digging in hopefully pretty deeply. So, five things I'm not trying to do today. Five things I'm not trying to do today. I'm not trying to make you mad. I'm not trying to trick you. I'm not trying to get you to follow a magic formula where you do something specifically correctly this way or that way or some man-made thing. I'm not trying to get you to follow some magic formula. Fourth thing, I'm not trying to confuse you at all. And maybe most importantly, I'm not trying to make you, quote, doubt your salvation. So I'm telling you that up front before we dive into anything today. Those five things I'm not trying to do. If that happens, you took something wrongly than the way I intended it to be taken. That is not the point of today. Three things I am trying to do today. I am trying to make you examine yourself. Each one of us individually examine ourselves, And think of that word, examine. Take a close, hard, inside-out look of ourselves today. I do want that to take place. I am trying to present the gospel as clearly as possible. The gospel of Jesus Christ, I am trying to present as clearly as possible today. And if that is offensive to anyone, then so be it. The third thing that I am trying to do today is assure the assurance of those who are truly saved. I hope today that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord God King, that you walk out of here today more assured of eternal life and the blessings that it is to follow Jesus than you ever have been in your life. And if you have not, then I hope your spirit is so unsettled that you cannot stand it. That's my prayer for today as we dig in to these scriptures. So that's where I'm not coming from and not trying to do, and that is what I am definitely trying to do. I believe that is what God has placed a heavy burden on my heart and shoulders this morning to express. So we're digging into Romans this morning. You've heard me say it before. This is the book of Romans is, is, is Paul's magnus opus. I think it's his, it's his greatest theological work of all the, uh, all the letters that he wrote, all the epistles that he wrote. This is, a, this is a big one. Paul wrote this somewhere around 56 to 58 AD. We know that time because he wrote it in Corinth, and that's when he was in Corinth. He wrote this while he was in Corinth, and, and the theme verse, if you wanted to pick out one verse to say what is Romans about, the theme verse, I think you could pick out Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation, for the salvation of everyone, everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And those, two key, those two phrases are key to what Romans 
is dealing with the theme verse. Paul dictates this letter to Tertius while he's in Corinth, and then Phoebe, most likely a deaconess of, uh, of the church there in Crenshaw, which is right outside of Corinth, that delivers this letter because he mentions her in this letter. He doesn't say that she's delivering it because you don't have to say she's delivering it. If she delivers it, then you know she delivered it. But he does mention her, and there's no other reason for him to mention her other than that. So that's a little bit of background on, on Romans. Let's just get into these few verses this morning. Romans 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Or, that is one case where I definitely like the King, King James language. For whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're wondering, on my, I usually use the HCSB uh, translation. I know sometimes it, it, it crosses some people up. I usually use that because it's a much more readable translation for me. Also a very literal translation. That's why I go with it. So, uh, that's where we are this morning. So, how has this been used? What is this? this is, these verses, I would almost for sure bet that if you've been in church at all for a portion of your life, you have heard those verses, you may have said those verses, you may have used those verses to help lead someone to the Lord. Although statistics say you probably haven't done that because most Christians, 9 out of 10, unfortunately, have never done that. But some of you may have led someone to the Lord and you probably used these verses or something similar to these verses to do that. So, how has it been used before? Sometimes it's used as a magic formula. And that's where we get into a problem. Sometimes it's used as a magic formula. Do you want to go to heaven? You don't want to go to hell? Come down here and repeat after me. I'm a sinner. I believe you resurrected from death. Please save me. Amen. That's it. You're saved. Boom. You're good to go. You're saved. Good luck with life. Go figure it out. That's been a primary church model for decades. My personal conviction is that has led to decades of either baby Christians who have no idea how to be adult, mature followers of Jesus, or people who think they are Christians that could not be further from the truth. That's my personal belief. Now, I can already feel some of you shifting in your seat and picking up tomatoes and you're ready to throw them at me. <laughs> and I already told you that's not my point today. I'm not trying to make anybody mad. But I will tell you this. If I ask you or someone asks you, are you a Christian? And you say yes. And they say, how do you know? And you say, well, I prayed a prayer once. I'm not going to overstep my bounds. I'm not. But if that's what defines your Christianity, then I'm not sure you have Christianity at all. 
If the way you say that you follow Jesus, that you have given your life to Jesus, you have submitted yourself to the lordship and the kingship of Jesus Christ, the Savior of all, the Lord of everything, the creator of the universe. If your answer is, how do you know that you're a Christian? And your answer is, I prayed a prayer once and there ain't anything else then you probably just said some words that you thought were a magic formula. You probably have never submitted your heart to Jesus. I say probably because it is not for me to judge whether you or you or anyone else is saved. God alone has that right. But it is our duty to express the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And I prayed a prayer once is not following Jesus. That's saying some words. Now, I am not saying that if that's the way you were led to the Lord, that you're not saved. I'm not saying that. God knows and you know whether your heart is submitted to him or not. And if you express that through a prayer, and the Holy Spirit is alive and evident in you, and fruit is bearing out in your life, then yes, that prayer was an expression of your faith, and you are saved. But whether or not that is the truth... That's between you and God. And that is not, is not, is not something I'm willing to walk up here and dance around. Because eternity is at stake. Your individual eternity is at stake. Is at stake. So, at the risk of offending, making you mad, making you never talk to me again, I'm willing to share that truth with you. That if the basis of your Christianity is I prayed a prayer once and that's it, then please examine your heart this morning and ask God if you have ever actually submitted yourself to him or not as Lord, as King, as Savior, or did you just say some words someday, some time ago? And then to me, the question comes up as we dig into to this. Well, a lot of questions come up as we dig into this. But the first one is, why is Paul making the point what, is, what, what point is Paul making when he says this? Why is he giving two different things? If you, if you believe in your heart and confess, if, is it a two-step thing? Is there more than one thing to do? I thought it was just grace. I thought it was just mercy. I, thought, I didn't know. Are you saying that there's, there's two steps, there's works? Is Paul saying there's works added to salvation? Is there something I have to do to be saved? What is Paul saying? Always keep Scripture in context. Paul is clearly making a reference to Deuteronomy 30, 14, right before he talks, before he says these verses. Deuteronomy 30, 14 says, But the message is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, in your mouth and in your heart, two things, so that you may follow it. He has just basically paraphrased that in the previous verse to where we picked up today. So he's saying that the message is very clear to you in your mouth and in your heart, so that with your mouth you should confess and with your heart you should believe. It's two things in one to Paul. It's all the same thing. Of course, he's not making it out to be a works salvation. I don't believe, let me be clear, in a works salvation. I believe we are saved through faith by grace. And that is it alone, Jesus Christ, nothing else. That is the truth this morning. And Paul's not saying anything different. That's exactly what Paul's saying. He's just expressing it by saying your mouth and your heart. And he's paraphrasing uh, the Old Testament because Scripture answers Scripture. Scripture doesn't contradict Scripture. 
So that's why the confess and the heart and the two different things in the first place. So let's dig in and specifically look at some things that are being said this morning in these verses. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Does confession mean pray a prayer? Does confession mean say something out loud, a specific thing that you have to say in order to confess? What does the word confess mean? Does it mean that you have to pray a specific prayer? I think, I don't think, confess means to profess allegiance or to declare loyalty. If you profess allegiance or you declare loyalty, that means there's something to do. There's something to do. It's not just words. Hear what I'm saying. And I'm not downing the sinner's prayer. I'm not, I'm not downing that. I am saying the prayer itself is not what saves you. I am saying that. It's not the words that save you. It's the confession that manifests out of a believing heart that saves you. Because confession and believing in your heart are one and of the same. The two will not exist separate from each other. So confess means to profess allegiance or to declare loyalty. And then the word Lord there, this is awesome. I love this. The word Lord there, if you go back to the, the Greek Old Testament. Okay, so the, so the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. Then along comes uh, Alexander the Great. And he has the Old Testament in Hebrew translated into ancient Greek. And we call that the Septuagint. That is the Old Testament Greek. And we have a lot of that, the Old Testament Greek. We have a lot <laughs> of that in the ancient Greek, still preserved to this day. We still have that. And the word that they used to take Yahweh in the Hebrew, the personal name of the God of Israel, into Greek is kurios. And the word we take, kurios, and then put into Lord in English, of that we take is we take it and put it into Lord. Yahweh is kurios, is Lord. In other words, you confess, you profess your allegiance, you declare your loyalty that Jesus is God. And that's what got Jesus killed. I'm not sure what you're, why you think Jesus got killed, just because people were mean or anything. Jesus got killed, obviously it was God's plan, but the reason the human beings killed Jesus is because Jesus stood in front of them and said, I am. He declared in front of them that he is God. Which is, if not true, punishable by death. If it is true, <laughs> then he's worth confessing that he is your God. He is worth putting your faith in him forever. So we confess, we profess our allegiance. We declare our loyalty. We say that no matter what, Jesus is my God. We profess that. And why would someone do that? Why would someone put their faith, profess their allegiance in Jesus? Well, I've kind of already said it, but the verse itself says it. If you confess that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God, Jesus is Yahweh, a personal relationship wanting being God, if you profess your allegiance to that and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, there it is. There it is. Come back to it over and over and over and over, Christian. Come back to that over and over and over and over, Jesus follower. Why is Jesus worth following? 
Because Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, I know we say that so often that it kind of loses its value, but when's the last time you saw someone raised from the dead? I never have. I'm 38 years old, and I've never seen that take place. Has anyone here ever seen that take place? If anyone's out there listening on the live stream, will you, like, text me and let me know if you have seen someone raised from the dead? I've never seen that. You know why? Because only God can do that. And not only did he do that, he said it was going to happen. A guy walking around, a human being, with skin and flesh, said, I'm going to be killed for what I'm about to say. But in three days, I'm going to come back to life. God the Father is going to bring God the Son back to life. And a dude named Peter that was scared to death of a teenage girl, prior to that happening, was willing to die and did die to profess that truth. Why? Because he saw Jesus alive. He heard him say he was going to be killed and then brought back to life. And he didn't understand until he was standing in front of him and said, See, see, give me some fish. See, I'm alive. My death paid the price for sin. So that death is not something that has to take place anymore. Church, Jesus follower, let's not lose the wonder and awe that it is to, to follow and profess our allegiance to a God that has conquered death. He has conquered sin and death and given the gift of eternal life to those who profess with their mouth and believe in their heart, to those who have faith in Him as the one and true only Savior of this world. That's awesome. <laughs> That's worth showing up every Sunday morning for. It ain't worth showing up to see me. I'm not very pretty. And as good as Josh sings, it ain't worth showing up to just hear him sing. Maybe one Sunday, maybe 50, but eventually that's going to wear out. But it's worth showing up here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday to be together and to be invigorated and revived every Sunday for the truth that is Jesus is alive. He has conquered death. Sin is no more. Death is no more. Eternal life is available right here, right now, to anyone who will declare their allegiance to Jesus as God. Jesus is Lord because he paid the price for your sin. Because he rose again. In other words, no resurrection, no Christianity. That's what it comes down to. And praise God for it. And then the end of that verse, I may get even more fired up. I'm sorry. <laughs> you will be saved. I like that word, will be saved. Jesus follower, you are saved. Person that hasn't placed your faith in Jesus, if you will do that, you will be saved. Not might, not maybe, not possibly, not perhaps, not it could be. Not, well, it's feasible, not weather permitting, you will be saved. You will be saved. Amen. Thank you, God. You will be saved. See, think of it. Sin against, what is sin against God? What is sin? It is things done against God. That's what sin is. Now, when we do it to each other, it hurts each other, but ultimately it is going against what God has said is best. Anything that is not what's best for you and for me is sin. 
We chalk it up and, and dress it up and church it up a lot of different ways. But anything that is not what's best for you and me is sin. Because that's not love. And, and love is what's best for you and for me. Always. Sin is against God. And God is infinite and eternal. Therefore, the payment for sin must be infinite and eternal. Eternal death. But Jesus died and came back to life, proving that eternal death was no longer necessary because his perfect, sinless, sacrificial death, his propitiation, his, his dying in, in your place, his atonement, his making you at one with God, all of that, he came back to life physically saying that I have conquered death. And if you place your faith in that today, you will be saved. And if you've placed your faith in that before, then you are saved and there ain't no iser, as a guy used to say that worked with my dad. Is you is or is you ain't, and there ain't no iser. It is what it is. There ain't no other way around it. Verse 10, he continues the, the, uh, the theme here, drawing from Deuteronomy 30, 14. He says, uh, confess and believe, and then believe and confess. A-B-B-A, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a technique to remember. Right? He, he says it, and then he flips it, but he, it's all together. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. One word, one step, one word, one step encompasses all of that. And we use this word all the time, and I want to make sure you understand what it means. What verse 10 is saying, if you believe with your heart, resulting in righteousness, and confess with your mouth, resulting in salvation. There's one word that describes that, and it's faith. That's what faith is. That's what faith is. It's belief and action. Hope and action. Trust and action. You say, why didn't it just say trust in the Greek? Check this out. Greek didn't even have that word. Greek didn't, Greek didn't have a word for trust. But the apostles had to make up words. They had to take believe and the preposition in and slam them together to make this word so that we could understand what faith is. Belief, confession, Profession, action, they all go hand in hand. Belief separate from action is an absolute 100% foreign concept to Paul. The fact that you could just, the word we would use for it is knowledge in English. The fact that you can just know something and that be enough to save you, Paul would look at you like, what? What do you mean? He would look at you like he had a horn growing out of your forehead. What? What do you, no, belief and action are synonymous. Confess from a believing heart, that is faith. It's, it's one thing. You can't have the one without the other. And that's why I go back to if your answer to how do you know you're a Christian is I prayed a prayer. Paul would go, what? You prayed a prayer? When's the last time you loved your neighbor? All right. Now I'm meddling. I'll stop. I love this. Paul throws us out there, and then he, then he reminds us that, hey, I'm not just making this up. This is Scripture. This is Scripture. Verse 11, for the Scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Paul's referencing Isaiah 28, 16. Everyone who believes in him will be eternally satisfied. Everybody who puts their faith into Jesus as their Lord, 
God will be eternally satisfied, never let down, never put to shame. Scripture answers Scripture. And he goes on in verse 12, Since there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all riches, richly blesses all who call on him. There's no distinction because the same Lord of all, right? All, I love that, the same all, go back, right? Don't just take this out of there. Go back to what Paul said throughout this whole letter. What did he say in Romans 3, 23? That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Same all. The same all that have sinned is the same Lord of all right here, right? The same, the same all in, in Romans 3, 29, that, that, that the Jew and the Gentile, that God is the Lord over the Jew and the Gentile. He's the God of the Jew and the Gentile, which is a major point Paul is making throughout his entire letter to the Romans. All, Lord of all, no distinction, Jew or Gentile, black, red, green, brown, white. If you've got a problem with that, then you've got a problem with Scripture. He's the Lord of all. Rich, poor, it don't matter. Intelligent or not so intelligent. Male, female, not nationality doesn't matter. Not language doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you're skinny or if you're fluffy. Doesn't matter if you're weak or you're strong, or you're athletic or you're not. Doesn't matter if you're pretty or you're homely. There is no distinction between those who have placed their faith in the Lord of all, in Jesus. Hey, that's a message this world could use. That's a message this world could use, church. That Jesus is Lord of all. That there's no distinction between human beings that have placed their faith in Jesus. That's a message this world could use. It's not the message for today, though, so we'll keep going. And as he makes another scriptural reference. He says, as the scriptures say... Reference Isaiah 28, 16. Then he says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I love that verse. And you and I hang on that verse. And it's a great verse. And it's a reference to Joel 2.32. When Joel's talking about all these crazy bad things that are going to happen. And then at times he's professing, he's being prophetic in his language. Not even knowing, Joel not even knowing all the things that that would become true through his prophetic message that God was speaking through him. And it says in Joel that all... See, Paul was saying, we've known this, Jews. We've known this all thing all throughout the Scriptures. We just chose not to look at it. But I'm telling you, it's all who call on the name of the Lord. Whosoever. Love that word. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord. So, two things. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you've never declared your allegiance to Jesus God with your mouth, Because inside, in your heart, in your heart of hearts, in your core, who you are, you believe that he died for you to save you for eternity to an eternal relationship in a place called heaven with him. If you've never done that, then today, do that. If you want to do it now, do that now. You don't have to say a special prayer. Although, if you say that you believe that Jesus is Lord and it never manifests into action, then you probably don't believe that. It should manifest into action. Again, there's no separation of the two. Say, so do you have to be baptized to believe? No. And what do we good Baptists always go to? Well, the God oh, died beside Jesus on the cross. He didn't get baptized to get saved, which is true. So we take the one example in history where a guy died before he had a chance to get baptized and say that it's not, and try to, try to make it not as big of a deal. Come on. If he'd have had 
If he had a whole day, he would have got off that cross and he wouldn't have got baptized because action follows belief. That's what faith is. So if you believe Jesus is your Lord and you've never got baptized, you should. Paul would say, you've never been baptized? Why? It goes hand in hand. Why would you not physically do something that expresses that Jesus is your Lord? Of course you would say he's your Lord. Of course you would get baptized. Of course you would go out and live your life in a way that says Jesus is my Lord. So, real quick. Then Paul says, if all that is true, if you have to believe because you've heard, you have to have faith, place your faith in Jesus, your allegiance, profess your allegiance, then what? Real quick. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how this is just continuing where we were in Romans 10, 14. And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news or who bring the gospel. And you hear that verse and you think about me. And I read that verse and I think about every single one of you. Because that's what it means. It don't mean me. It means me and you. And every single other person that professes Jesus as their Lord. That we should go out with our beautiful feet and express the good news of Jesus. That there is no distinction between human beings for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. That is a message that this world desperately needs to hear. So, since Josh didn't use this, I guess I will real quick. Real quick, and we'll finish with this. The law of the pendulum, simple law, physics. The law, in layman's terms, because that's all I can understand, basically says that when you bring a pendulum up to a height, that it will follow to the exact height on the other side and will come back shorter than where it started and will come back shorter each time it swings until it finally comes to rest, right? Just like a clock. Why does the clock not keep going? Because it has something acting against it. So if nothing acts against that, it will start at this height, it will go to that same height on that side, and then every time it swings after that, it will continue to swing a little less and a little less and a little less until it comes back to rest, okay? Physics, science, really cool, really nerdy stuff. But that is the law of the pendulum. How many of you believe that that law is true? Raise your hand if you believe the law of the pendulum is true, that it starts here, goes to the same height there, and goes shorter and shorter every time it swings until it finally comes to rest, no matter how long it takes. Okay, I saw a lot of hands go up. I'm not a very good science teacher, so some of you didn't believe me, okay? So, let's find out who really believes it. Grant, Kathy, I'm going to call on you. Why don't you come up here? And let's see if you believe, catch it, right? Stand right here for me, Grant. Beautiful young man that you are. Back up just a hair. Let me put that right under your chin. Okay, Grant, do you believe in the law of the pendulum? Do you believe that if I let go of this pendulum, it swings over there, it will come back a shorter distance on this side? You hope so. He said, I hope so. <laughs> Let's see if you believe in the law of the pendulum. Are you ready? 
Did you see him move? Why did he move? Because he thought he believed until he realized he didn't believe. <laughs> That's the belief Paul's talking about. We use belief as in we think or know something. Belief, the way Paul is using it, is trust. And there's no way to trust something unless it's put into action. That's how you know you trust. Faith has an object. It's not faith that Jesus did something. It's faith in Jesus because he did something. You believe in something. That's what we're talking about. It's not a magic formula. It's not a prayer, although it can be expressed in a prayer. It's belief in. It is faith. It is trust, belief, hope in action that Jesus Christ died for your sins perfect sacrifice, gaining victory over death, then and forever, for all, for whosoever will place their faith in him for that truth, will be saved, will have the gift of eternal life, same thing, will never experience eternal spiritual death. They're saved from that. I love that we still use that word. A lot of churches don't use that word. I think they're wrong. You know why I think they're wrong? Because it's in the scriptures. It says you'll be saved. So if you want to be saved today, then let's talk about it. Let's, place, let's, let's help make sure that you have your hope and trust in Jesus. Okay? And, I, and, I, and here's, here's how, it, if you are ever leading someone, don't, here's what I would tell you not to do. Don't lead them in the sinner's prayer. Make sure they understand the sinner's prayer, and have them pray it back to you. I've made that mistake. I've done that. I did it with a student 10 or 12 years ago, and it eats me up that I kind of did the, you know, well, if you, do you believe Jesus is your Lord? Yeah. Didn't know what sin was. Didn't, didn't talk about resurrection. Didn't talk about submission. Didn't talk about that your trust is in action. Didn't talk about any of that. Do you believe Jesus is Lord, that he, that he died in your sin? Yeah, I believe that. All right, well, say this. Okay, I said it. Okay, good luck. Hope it works out. I don't know whether he believed that or not. I should have done a better job. I do this because it was right there. I'll never forget it. So if you're leading someone, make sure they understand that they are a sinner. When someone says, how do you know you are a Christian? Your answer should be, I am a sinner and I deserve death. God loves me And Jesus died for my death. And my faith is in him because of that. I declare that he is my Lord and Savior. That's how I know that I'm a Christian. Because God loves me enough to save me from eternal death. And because of that, I cannot help but live that out in my life. I try to love you. I try to be there for you. And I'm humble enough to say I'm wrong when I didn't. That's Christianity, summed up in about three or four sentences. If that's not your answer, examine your heart, please. Examine your heart. I'm going to pray for us, and we'll have a time of invitation. One song. If you need to deal with something today, do not wait. Come down here during the song, and let's deal with it. God, we love you. We thank you for your truth, for your for your gospel, God, your good news. 
that you loved us enough to save us while we were yet still sinners. God, we are sinners. We need you. We have to have you. And Lord, there is no other hope that this world has to offer other than eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. That is it. That is it. Everything else is a sideshow and a distraction. And everything else should be used to point to that truth, God. We thank you this morning that you loved us enough to save us, God. And if there is one single solitary person in this room that has never placed their faith in you, God, whether they are 5 or 85, whether they're not a member of this church or they've been a member of this church for five or six decades, God, if there is one human being here today that has never placed their faith in you, professed their allegiance to you as Lord God, Savior of the world, may that day be today, God, and not a second longer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.